0: Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game With me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire Kieran, I don't know about you, but the beautiful game was freezing yesterday I'm, st- I'm still thawing out it's 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 one of those things you you sit you thinking why do we sit outside this pub
1: why, why can't we sit inside like everybody else <laughs> because that's what you always do Kevin you've always told me you know the same mates the same bollocks the same drinks the same the same seats it has to be done I and it's like part that. it's part of culture yeah, and, we, and if it, if it involves freezing to death then so be it
0: yeah we we hoist ourselves by our own batard with yesterday's just. Like just <laughs> We just had our noses pressed against the window again. Look at all those warm people inside.
1: How was Leicester? It has a good point, wasn't it for you boys? It it, it was, yeah. It was, uh, it was some, some cracking goals. Good atmosphere. Met some Leicester fans in the pub beforehand, and and they were on fine form as well. So, uh, yeah, yeah, good 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 day out. Uh, yeah, uh, and it's, it's probably the first season in in many where it, it's it, yeah you know, an away trip has been a good day out without a guaranteed ruining it of it by, by 90 minutes of football. So, yeah, lo- loving every moment at present um, until it ceases to last. And, you know, we, we, we acknowledge that these things won't last forever.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's questions, today, uh, Kieran. Um, the first question will come from me. But before that, we have a very, very big news story coming out of
1: Italy, don't we? Yes. Uh, this is to do with the old lady, uh, Juventus. Um, Juventus have been inspected by uh, effectively a financial regulator, um, and, and there were two broad issues. And one was a one was a story that we have covered on quite a few occasions, which was to do with um, transfers of players, and uh, especially the one between Juventus and Barcelona, where yeah. they swapped Pjanic and Arthur, both of whom were. Okay, players. Um, with, re- I think the respective transfer fees were 70 million and 62 million euro. And, and everybody said, Blimey O'Reilly, they look a bit steep. Mm. And, and by pure coincidence, of course, by, by the unusual way in which uh, football transfers are, are accounted for, you, you take all of the profits immediately and, and you spread the cost over a longer period of time through our very good friend amortization. So it gave a big boost. Uh, for financial fair play, play, for financial fair play purposes in, in that particular year, but that that was that was the one which was most noticeable. But the the, the Italian inspector went and looked at sixty two transfers involving uh, Italian clubs, and it wasn't just Juventus uh, involved. The likes of Sampdoria, Genoa, and Pisa, and, and many others, uh, but forty two of them involved Juventus. And, uh, said, well, I'm not, I'm not particularly happy about these. And, and it effectively went to court. And the judge said, well, here's the problem. How much is a footballer worth? Yeah. And, and you cannot say with any degree of certainty that they are worth X or Y because it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a bit like a work of art. It's a unique, uh, it's a unique, uh, issue, the, the registration of a footballer. So, so, so the, the judge rode back on that, but there were, Further issues, and this is partly due to the fact that Juventus is a public-listed company, so its shares are traded on the stock exchange, and therefore it is held to a, a higher degree of scrutiny and standards than, than a private company because you are effectively, as a public company, you are saying, please come and buy our sell, sell our shares at will in, a, in an openly traded market. You have to have a series of checks and balances to protect uh, people who want to do that, Um And the the other issues were with regards to wages um, at Juventus. Juventus said when COVID hit, um, we've got players to take big pay cuts, big pay deferrals and so on. Um, And and of course, the signal this sends out to investors is the the club is is, uh, cutting back on its costs, reducing losses um, and so on and uh, i think it could be said that yeah the accusation is that, that juventus were a bit fast and loose with uh, you know how they how they described the these these payments uh, and uh, the accusation is that the players were being paid through through other means and the club wasn't being completely transparent um and and as a result of that uh, juventus have been given a 15 points deduction um although the club is appealing club saying we did nothing wrong Um, uh, And uh, Fabio uh, Paratici, who was, I think, effectively the director of football, he's been given a 30-month ban from uh, Italian football. And the Italian authorities, the the, the effectively Italian equivalent of the FA, are saying, we think that should be a worldwide ban. And that's an issue here as far as uh, English football is concerned because he's effectively the sporting director at a club called Spurs. He's he's in charge of uh, recruiting managers and players, I think some Spurs fans might be quite happy if that ban <laughs> was upheld. Uh, especially my my neighbour Paul, who I think uh, is uh, is not impressed uh, with his performance to date. Um Also banned was our our very good friend, the saviour, the saviour of football, as he describes himself, uh, Andrea Anelli, uh, one of the one of the architects of Super League um the godfather of uh, alex uh, severin who is effectively the president of uefa mm. who uh, if people may recall going back to super league uh, suddenly stopped turned his turned his phone off to all calls from mr severin and is described by his uh, his goddaughter who uh, because he is uh, alex severin's uh, daughter's godfather uh described as a snake and i think that's very harsh because I, I like snakes. I don't know. I've, I've met quite a few snakes in sort of, in, in petting zoos, you know, taking my kids along when they were small. I, I, I always got on fine with them and I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, them to be associated with such a, a sleazy individual as Andrea Annelli. So, so, so that's where we are. Um, it's, uh, it's going to make it difficult for Juventus to qualify for the Champions League, boo and indeed who. Um, you know, people will remember that they've been previously stripped of titles and uh, you know, kicked out of Serie A into Serie B historically for um, historic financial irregularities and uh, you know, leopards, spots, etc. come to mind. Uh, I, I know the
0: north of England, Kieran, where you lived for a long time, is traditionally considered to be harder than the south of England. But what sort of petting zoo has got snakes in it to kiss, <laughs> to, to kiss the stroke, and touch with the love of God? Um, I mean, fifteen-point penalty, Kieran. This is not uh, just them you know, mistaking a few accountants, dropping a few noughts, is it? By mistake. I mean, that's clearly they've considered that Juventus have. Uh, seriously breached the rules and, and weren't weren't you one of the clubs you talked about recently refusing to open their accounts
1: um i'm, I'm not, i not they, they were they were certainly being awkward right. um okay. uh with, with regards to cooperation with various things but uh, you know the, the the inspectors i think have a, have a right uh, and uh yeah and and perhaps perhaps if italy had an independent regulator of football <laughs> <laughs> they could change the culture of the game and they could protect the game from unscrupulous owners such as Andrea Ranieri. Indeed. Now,
0: uh, it's questions day, Kieran, as I said in that first question. Um, and I'm not being self-indulgent here because it is a big financial story, but I'm asking this about the state of affairs at Crystal Palace. And the reason I'm asking is because I stopped counting after about 30 yesterday, people braving the cold to come outside and asked me if I knew what was happening. I mean, I don't think you can shed any light on the relationship between Harris, Blitzer, Texter and Parish, who are essentially the four owners of the club. But <clears throat> was publicly this week, John Texter has been talking about, um, off the back of his takeover at Olympic Lyonnais, he's now set up a new scheme. Uh, SBA says what people are calling a blank check scheme. So a lot of Palace fans are rather concerned about what his financial plans for Leon may uh, um, affect uh, yeah. future financial plans of Palace, in particular uh, transfers, etc.
1: Right. Um, so, t- t- just give a little bit of background here. Uh, John Texter uh, is an American investor, I believe. He owns forty percent of Crystal Palace. He is that correct? His,
0: his company, Eagle Holdings, <laughs> yeah, owns forty percent, and he owns as some percent
1: of Eagle Holdings. Yes. Yes. Um, what what he's also doing is he is uh, setting up uh, this thing called a SPAC. SPAC stands for Special Purpose Acquisitive Company. As you rightly said, it's also known as, as a blank check vehicle. And the way that it operates is as follows. You, you, you effectively create this investment fund and you, you say to people, come and buy shares in us. Um, give us a load of money. And we are going to spend that money on something. (laughs) And you go, hey, we like it, like to narrow that down a wee bit. What what does that something actually involve? And then they say, well, we're going to buy some companies in some industries, but we're not going to tell you what those companies are. So um, John Texter's uh, SPAC vehicle, is going to be in the entertainment stroke sports space stroke sector. Um, so effectively, what, what they're trying to do here is, is to persuade people who are quite wealthy to, to put money. Um, and the reason why I call it a blank check is that you've got no idea how the money going to be spent. And and um, you know, it, it is – I wouldn't say it's a leap of faith, um, but it, it does involve a degree of confidence in the people behind the company. And, and these were – these were very popular um, in, in the world of investment in 2021. They raised billions and billions of dollars. Uh, in 2022, uh, a bit of the lustre, a bit of the shine began to disappear from them because people were saying, oh, you know, we, we, don't appear, we, we are putting an awful lot of confidence here in these individuals. Um, but, you know, global economic circumstances have changed in, in 2022. But John Texas does seem to be very confident with regards to this. So um, what could that money be used to buy it it could be used to try to buy out the other partners at crystal palace right. you know, that would be that would be one thing it could be used to buy football clubs or other sports institutions uh, elsewhere in in europe or, or the usa they could buy an mls franchise or they could buy they could buy a non-football franchise yeah you know, you, uh, we are seeing some of the the multi-club owners thinking well you know let's let's have a uh, you know an ipl franchise as right. well as a right. football franchise because then we've got you know different demographics Different, uh, different geographical markets and so on. Um, so the the potential good for you know, I think you and, and your fellow Palace fans would be well, yeah, you know, this money if if. Uh, if John Texter's viewpoint is that Crystal Palace would be more valuable because ultimately you'll make your money from buying and selling individual companies. So that, yeah, that he's, he's not in it for the next, you know, in all probability the next 20 to 30 years at Crystal Palace. Um, you're looking to, to improve a business, sell it on a profit. Those profits go back into the funds. Those profits are then paid out to the the investors of the spec. Um so it could one of the ways of doing that is you know potentially to make Palace more competitive in the Premier League. So if that is the case, then it could be beneficial as far as the transfer spend is concerned. Another way to do it is you know profit ultimately is is income less costs. It's it's to cut costs. So you know, will there be? Uh, a greater emphasis on cost cutting, and uh, you, know, you know, whilst we have a, a, a whinge about our football clubs at times, we also know that in the main, they're, they're sort of they're, they're a little bit cuddly, they're a little bit fluffy, and yeah. you know, and some people are, are, you know, there is an awful lot of good done at individual football clubs. Um, yeah, the private equity smacks, they none of that now yeah. yeah you you are only employed for a particular purpose if the uh, if the benefits of your employment don't ex- don't exceed the costs or so then then you're gone so you know it, it can be quite ruthless so so that that could be the downside um so so i think that's where where we stand it it's not it, it's not something to be scared of in, in my view it's not something to say well yeah, this is a disaster um equally it's not a pathway to riches. You know, it's it's not anyway going to be the equivalent of uh, what we've seen at Newcastle United with PIF, what right. we've seen at uh, uh, Manchester City with uh, you know Sheikh Mansour and so on, where where the return on the investment is not valued in monetary terms. It's mal- man- it's valued in terms of you know, increased profile, um, increased exposure, and so on. So I, I think that's that's where we stand. Um, Financial investors expect a financial return. So, how are they going to get that return? They're going to get the return from profit. Where's that profit going to come to? Well, you know, does it mean they're going to put? Yeah, you know, if if, uh, if if we if Palace proceed with the expansions of the stadium, yeah, you know, are all of the seats going to be more expensive? Are they all going to be geared towards hospitality packages and so on? Um, and where do you know? Where do the regular fans stand in all this? Um, they stand at the end of the queue.
0: <clears throat> no matter how much they pay for their secrets, so they stand anyway um, <laughs> I, I, Kieran you know what football fans are like and Palace fans in particular not one of them yesterday sidled up to me and discussed what the potential good might be all they wanted to know was the potential, potential harm that's how football fans minds work um, our first question from an actual person other than us comes from Chris Pollard <coughs> excuse me and Chris says I support Sheffield United But I'm a member of Sheffield FC, the world's first ever football club, which cost me £2.50 a month. They're currently waiting to build a new ground, brackets, not stadium, exclamation mark, exclamation mark. How many £2.50s and other investments is it taking to build this ground? I'd hate for it to be a burden on the club and harm it in any way, as this is a club that needs protection probably a little more than most due to its history. Here, here.
1: Absolutely. Yes, I, I believe that that Sheffield FC presently play at a, a place called Dronfield. I think it had a bit of a nomadic yeah. uh, existence, uh, and they're sort of outside of the the official boundaries of, of Sheffield at, at present, which it, which is a real shame because and, you know something like this, given the importance of football in in terms of culture and history in this country, it's absolutely essential. It should be preserved. Um, they're still getting attendances of around about three hundred and fifty, hmm. um, and the the proposals um are to move to a place called Meadowhead which is within the boundaries um the capacity of the ground will be 4000 and and the estimated cost is in the region of 20 million now million. 20 million yeah Whoa. i think i think there will be um it, it's it's going to be a bit, bit more multifunction uh, in the sense that there will be uh, you know cricket facilities and other sporting facilities Whoa. there as well that's a lot of two. Um, that's a lot of two pound fifties, isn't it? That is a lot of two pound fifties. Yes, that if if you were to pay in your two pound fifties for a full year, it would require six hundred and sixty six thousand, six hundred and sixty seven people to contribute. Wow. Um, and presently, there's five thousand members, and fair play to them, you know, because they're they're from all over the world. They're people. They're people. Uh, do. So I, I think we will be therefore looking at, uh, you yeah, perhaps some private benefactors, uh, perhaps some some central funding as well uh yeah, perhaps perhaps the leveling up fund for example would would be a a, a good a, a good example of of the use there because uh it will be for the benefit of the community as well as uh, the football club sheffield fc so i i was i was a bit surprised at that cost um but you yeah, the, the more i read into it it, it does appear that uh there there's going to be a quite a lot uh, involved with it not just a football uh, a football space as it were This is an interesting one, Kieran, because it's one of those questions where uh,
0: I don't know why I've not thought of it before. And As you know, they're the questions I like the most. Um, And I assume that I know the answer, but I'm going to be interested to find out. And the question comes from Alan Hemphill. And Alan says, if a player's contract has a relegation clause that states their wages will decrease by a percentage on relegation, then if that club immediately gets promoted back is the original wage of the player automatically reinstated? Um, so I'm thinking there must be several players, Alan says, from Bournemouth, Fulham and Norwich, who may be in that category. who got relegated with the club, had their wages cut, got promoted straight back. Do the wages automatically uh, reinstate?
1: Yes, I, I contacted one of our, uh, our, our friends in the, in the agency industry uh, for a bit of advice on this. And, and he said, yeah, what, what now tends to happen, is that there will be embedded into the contract um, a salary uh, associated not just with relegation to the championship, but what he refers to as the Sunderland effect? Oh, okay. A, a further, a, a further reduction should the club go straight through the back end of the championship and, and end up in League One, um, and, and people, and people, he said, yeah, he says clubs are now. Getting wise, and players and their representatives are accepting a degree of of pay cut now. Yeah, you know, and, and I was having this discussion with, with some people uh, in in the past couple of days with with regards to parachute payments in order. For clubs relegated from the Premier League to, to break even in the Championship, you'd have to have pay cuts in the region of eighty percent, and you know, and, and yeah, agents, players, or, or also it, it's it, you know, if, if you're a Premier League player and you've bought a house and you've got a mortgage, you know, I don't, I'd, I'd struggle to find anybody that could take an eighty percent pay cut, uh, you know, for, you know, with, with a sort of a regular job who who could then you know, meet meet their financial obligations. So. Um, that there are pay cuts embedded. I was talking again to a chief executive and he says, yeah, we, we can probably get them to, to agree to perhaps 20 to 25% in the championship. And yes, we probably managed to get a wee bit more in, in League One as well. Um, but there are automatic step-ups uh, because the contracts are on a divisional basis Should should the club be promoted back to the Premier League. And in addition to that, there would be bonuses embedded in the contract um for promotion which which is understandable um and, and if you take a look at um what we see in in most contracts uh or sorry in most club accounts you know, those those bonuses normally amount sort of collectively to somewhere between 10 to 15 million pounds so so we are talking substantial amounts of money um, but uh, I think uh, owing to I, I, I think Jack Rodwell was was quite famous or infamous uh, in the Sunderland till I die documentary as being a player who was on a Premier League salary in in League One and when 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 they interviewed the player he says well, I'm, I'm not here to cause trouble what you what do, what do you expect me to do you know people walking up to me in the street and saying you should walk away from your contract you should get transferred and so well yeah you know, my first responsibility is my is my family if, if the club were daft enough to sign the contract in the first place then you know nobody forced them to um you know why why should i be forced to walk away and and, and i think it is a uh, it, it's it's an interesting issue um but uh i, I you know we, we know we know which clubs are never going to be relegated so this is not going to be an issue but you know for the for, for for the other fourteen, um, then then it is something which is taken into consideration. But it is difficult to to persuade agents and players to agree to huge pay cuts, um, and, and they simply won't sign the contract. They'll, they'll either stay where they are or, or they'll look for another club. Yeah. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Quentin Soldan,
0: uh, and we know that Quentin Kieran has been a loyal listener right from the start. Um, I didn't know how old he was, but I, I think I can guess from the tone of his first line in this question, that he's probably our sort of age, because the first line of his question is, when a player pulls a hamstring, hamstring, when a player pulls a hamstring, twists an ankle, or chips a nail, we hear that that player has been sent for a scan. So I, I don't think anybody under the age of 35 would talk about players chipping a nail, here, would they? <laughs> um and then Quentin says, "I know this isn't a medical podcast, and Quentin, you've listened to it long enough to know that doesn't stop us talking about all sorts of, <laughs> talks about all sorts of things we're not qualified for, not even, not even pub qualifications. But what kind of scan is most frequently used? MRI, CT, etc. And regardless of what kind of scan, what kind of inc- cost is incurred, and who pays for the cost?
1: Right." Um- well, here uh, again, I'm I'm indebted to to one of our friends uh, at at a football club, a chief executive of a club who who who, uh, who who put me in the direction of the Premier League Medical Care Scheme Limited, um, and I think this is used by quite a few clubs, uh, and and this this organisation provides what is known as stop loss insurance. Oh. Um, which which I'd never heard of uh, before. So, so this, this yeah, Google is my friend uh, as always, um, and, and this is where effectively the club says uh, club goes to, approaches the insurance company and says, "You know what we're concerned about is if one of our players has to have a, a long series of procedures, or perhaps three or four of our players, you know, you, you get you get you know catastrophe happening, you know, with some lots of players with, with lots of injuries, um, and, and the club wants some form of protection." So, so what what happens here is the club club says, you know, we will pay the first ten thousand pounds a year, or depending on the size of the club, the first hundred thousand pounds a year of of medical fees in respect of our players, and anything above that, um, this is where your stop loss. You know, it, it's to stop that it's to give the club an effective knowledge at the start of the season. Worst case scenario, if we get a lot of injuries, we won't have to pay more than. Hundred thousand pounds in medical fees, and and the insurance company then steps in at, at above a hundred thousand pounds and says, Right, we will pay for the excess. So, so the club would go to you know, if the player you know twangs a hamstring, uh, you know, Wilfred Sahar he, he, he twanged his yesterday, was that right? I was, I was watching the game, he did, I, and I don't think anything proves, Kieran, that we are not a
0: medical podcast more than the fact that we use the word twang. <laughs> uh, I'd, I'd, I'd be disappointed if uh, Wolf turned up at his specialist appointment on Monday for the doctor to say, "Oh, you've definitely twanged that, haven't you?" Um,
1: <laughs> but yes, Wolf did twang his, his hamstring yesterday, unfortunately. And, and anybody that's ever had a hamstring twang will, will know that it is one of the most horrible sensations. Right. Um, I, I, I it happened to me once when I was. Uh, when I was playing cricket for, for Trafford, um, and uh, halfway through my run-up, it twanged, and, and I went down like a horse had been shot. Um, and, of course, you get zero sympathy because the rest of my team just fell about laughing. <laughs> it's me screaming in agony, um, and you've got the Prowler and Size 5 and Skunk and uh, Biffer and all the others sort of just <laughs> – sort. Of- this, this, this is what happens. This is, this is northern cricket. Um, I think uh, it, 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 that's universal. I mean, we we know across there's not one part of the
0: world where a man doesn't think that the funniest thing that can happen is another man getting hit in the testicles by a ball. It's
1: a, yes, <laughs>
0: size five skunk biffer, the prowler. This is very unlike any cricket team I've ever seen on Midsummer Murders, Kieran. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, carry on. <laughs> um
1: I believe we left it at Wilf twanging his hamstring, right? So, so Wilf will twang his hamstring, and what will happen is um, an MRI. Uh, again, based based on my friend Good Google, is probably going to cost uh, you know from from Bupa or PPP. You go along to to the local provider, and it's probably going you know, to cost three to four hundred pounds. Then you're going to have to go and pay for the consultant to to review it and to advise, and then, and then of course you know depending upon the nature. Um, of the scan and the procedure, if any, that is required. The costs start to mount up quite quickly. So the club wants protection. Um, and at the end of each season, is my understanding, is you know the premiums are, you, know, you say, if, if you want cover for anything over £10,000, this is going to be the premium. Over a hundred thousand pounds. This is the premium. So clubs decide the level of risk that they want to take. They want to effectively self-insure, um, and and the the excess is, is paid from the insurance company. and And the premiums change on a, on a year by year basis because you know they have to because. Of you know, the, what we find is that that uh, medical costs and medical procedures are advancing um, ahead, even of the, the very high rates of inflation that we presently have um, sort of economically. Uh,
0: our next question comes from Deep Singh. Uh, and Deep says, I have a rule of boycotting kits that have a gambling sponsor. My team Wolves changed their shirt sponsor this season from gambling company Man Bear X to AstroPay. Now, I've never heard of AstroPay and can't find out much about them online. Are they wrongins or can I lift my boycott?
1: Uh, I've, got, um, I've got good news and bad news ah. for you here, I think, uh, Amadeep. Uh, the good news is that um, AstroPay are a, a monetary transfer service. So people might have heard of the likes of Skrill and Revolut and, and so on. And effectively, what happens here is... <laughs> Um, you put money into um, a wallet. So you transfer money out of your bank account into what they refer to as a wallet run by one of these organisations. And this is really useful if you are trying to transfer money overseas because, you know, I've, I've, I've moaned in the past about, you know, I, I help out my mum who, who lives in Ireland and uh, my uh, my high street bank, who, who will I want, will not name, but they're Spanish. Um, um <laughs> They, they charge me £25 a time every time I want to go and send yeah, a few quid to my mum. I go, you know, what exactly are you doing for your £25? Um, whereas if you use one of these services, uh, they, they, they charge you nothing. Um, yeah, they might make a little bit of money, I guess, on uh, especially if it's an overseas transfer in terms of, first of all, they don't pay you any interest for the money in your wallet. And B, if, if you are transferring overseas, they're, they're probably making a margin on, on the exchange rate just as everybody else does, um, so AstroPay uh, appeared to be one of these um, money transfer services. Um, so I thought, okay, let, let's let, let's now try and find out. Uh, you know, uh, Amadeep said, "Are they wrong So, so I went on to uh, an organisation called Trust Pilot, which which uh, looks at reviews and um of the 66 uh, money transfer services that uh, that they review astro pay came 66th um with an average review points of 1.6 stars out of 5 um so yeah you know, it, it's not for me to to confirm these because you know so this for, for all i know it, it could be a uh uh you know, it, it could be a group of people trying to take yeah it could be, it could be rivals trying to put bad reviews uh, you, know, you know, when when Michael McIntyre and Swiss Ramble do start up their uh, <laughs> their their football their football business podcast, you know, I, I expect they'll be encouraging their uh, their fans to uh, you know to, to to diss us on on social media and so on. So yeah, you know, yeah. You know, so I, I I you know I, I cannot say whether it's good or bad, but um, certainly reading the reviews, um, that, that they they were not positive uh, at all in terms of. Customer service feedback, uh, disputes, and so on. Uh, but well, I, I cannot, uh, I cannot confirm the accuracy of of the the very large number of people who are saying that Astro AstroPay are a bit bobbins. Right. Uh, uh, Roddy
0: McDonald
1: says he has
0: the misfortune. I, I don't put yourself down, Roddy. The misfortune to be a fan of Partick Thistle in Glasgow. Sixty years of torture, he says. And I was wondering how far down the English football league do you go before you find a club with similar funding to the Jags? Now, we have talked about uh, the situation at Partick Thistle just a month or so ago, Kieran, haven't we, with um, somebody from their, their trust or a, a fan group. So we're kind of aware of what's going on, what has been going on. But can you shed any more light on Roddy McDonald's sad plea?
1: Yes, I mean, in, in terms of of funding, uh, and and there's been a, quite a bit of change since uh, since the Jags Trust came onto the uh, onto the show. Um, Partick Thistle are, in, in many respects, could be described as a fan fan owned or fan controlled club these days. Yeah, uh, which is good. In terms of the EFL equivalent, what have we got? Well. We 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 would have been able to say Portsmouth, but they were then t- they they were controlled by the Fans Trust, um, but they then sold out to Michael Eisner of, of Disney fame. Um, so I would say that the the closest equivalents would be AFC Wimbledon um, and Newport County. Both uh, okay. AFC Wimbledon and Newport County, Newport County Center, are owned by the Supporters Trust, um, and uh, people people often say to me, "Oh, surely a fan owned club is." Is intuitively better than an individual-owned club or an entity-owned club. And I think we have to give a slightly more nuanced answer because um, I was talking to some some Preston fans over the course of the last few days because Preston announced £20 million worth of losses um, for 2022 – um, and, and they're in the, the championship, and you know, talking to to Radio Preston or Radio Lancashire and, and some of the local journalists, and they were saying, "Yeah, we're, how how do we go forwards? You know, the fans, not all the fans, no, you know, the, the vast majority of fans, yeah, understand where we are. Um, could any could any other model work? Um, if if you are a fan owned football club, where are the fans going to find twenty million pounds between them in a year?" Mm. Uh, to cover that. And remember, that's just for one season. And admittedly, those, those are those are yeah, the biggest losses I've ever undertaken by the club. Um, so I, I think there is a natural ceiling for clubs who are fan-owned. And, and that natural ceiling, in my view, would be League Two and League One because the losses there tends to be in the region's of hundreds of thousands of pounds as opposed to millions, if not tens of millions. Um, and that's, that's not to say that you know, if, if you're losing 400 grand in, in League 1 or League 2 that, that the fans can find that money easily, but they tend to have budgets which are more geared towards even because they don't have that benefactor that can write out a check for 5 10 15 grand a week or whatever it's going to be. So so that's that's where we are as far as the EFL are concerned. If you then drop into the National League there are there are far more clubs um that that are uh fan influenced stroke fan owned. Um, but but it's not easy. You know, we, we've, we've spoken on quite a few occasions about the sort of the travails at at Rochdale, and Rochdale isn't a fan owned club, but it doesn't have a, a majority shareholder, and and therefore it, it's difficult uh, for a club such as Rochdale to to raise significant sums. Um, uh, and yeah, you know, overall, it, it's due to a lack of cost control within the industry as a whole, because you know, the, the aim of a football club at the start of the season, as far as us fans are concerned is is to spend money to get promoted or to achieve you know pr- progress um, and yeah, that means that from a financial point of view you, you are going to be at risk uh, My instinct is Kieran and it, this is just an instinct because
0: obviously I haven't backed it up with anything basic like research but it does seem that in Scotland there are clubs at a slightly higher level than, than down here who are fan-owned I mean Hearts is a big club isn't it which is yeah, uh, essentially fan-owned, and and Partick Thistle in in Scotland. With all due respect to Newport and AFC Wimbledon, are probably a bigger club in Scotland than those two clubs are in in English football, aren't they?
1: Yes, I think I think we've got Motherwell as well. Looks, um, yeah, yeah. So yes, uh, I I think that partly is is a function of Scottish football does not have the the same cliff edges yeah. that we yeah. have. Um, and you know, this comes back, back to the much broader issue of the distribution of money. Um, we have, I, I know it's now the 22nd, I'm, I've still got my fingers crossed. We might have the white paper out by, by the end of this month. And, and if then we'll, we'll, we'll try to get somebody, um, in, involved you know, in its creation to, to give a, us a, a longer explanation. Yeah. Um, so, so the the incentives to overspend don't exist in scottish football and also um the ability to to win the biggest prizes is is less because scottish football i'm, I'm not I'm, gonna, I'm upset some people by saying it, isn't that competitive in terms of the trophy winning because yeah rangers and celtic are going to win uh, they're certainly going to win the Premier League or the Premiership each year, um, and there's a good chance they're going to win at least one of the cups. I, think, I mean, I think to be fair, Saint John'son uh, have been successful. Yeah. They did win a couple, couple of years ago, which was a fantastic achievement. Um, so, 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 therefore, if if your ability to win cups and, and uh, trophies is is diminished, um, the incentive to overspend uh, in terms of the additional money you get from being at the top of top of the championship compared to the bottom of the Premiership is is not there. The incentive to to live beyond your means isn't there as well, and therefore the culture of gambling with the club's future, which we see here in England, especially in the EFL Championship, which and I'm not criticising owners for doing this because yeah, you talk to fans, fans are, are quite happy for the future of the club to be, be gambled with, provided it's with somebody else's money, and and that there'll always be somebody else's money. Um, And, and, and of course, that that isn't always the case. Uh, Luke Smith asks our next question, Kieran, and I like
0: Luke Smith for reasons that will become apparent uh, very, very soon. Uh, Luke Luke says, I would like to caveat this question with the preface that I am a couple of pints of cider in. And while I'm sure the answer to it is fairly obvious to the initiated and uninebriated, I confess I am at the moment neither. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, Luke, you, 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 for somebody who's a couple of siders in, you ask the question very lucidly, although I suspect it might have taken about an hour with his mate helping him. Um, if a play, It's a good question as well, though. If a player has a sell-on clause from a transfer from Club A to Club B, what happens if Club A is subsequently sold and another company is formed to take them over? Does Club B owe the new company for Club A the money, or does the obligation disappear with new owners
1: um, what would happen here is that if there is a club ownership change um under the terms of the transfer you will acquire all of the assets and all of the liabilities un- unless the clubs in administration in which case you only acquire all of the assets um, and, and what you will do is you know if if let, let's say that we are buying a football club, you and I, um, yeah, you know, what price are we going to pay? And we would look, you know, if, if 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 they thought that we were uh, legit, um, which clearly is, is quite a big caveat, um, they they would give us access to the what the what the slisters and accountants like to call the data room, but what we would call would be the books, um, and, and that would list out, yeah, these are the contracts. This is what we owe on leases. This is our rental agreement. Um, and in terms of players that are sold, these are any instalments outstanding, and these are the add-ons. And, and, and what what we would do is we would say, well, you, know, you sold player X. They've got a, a, you know, they've got a two million pound add-on if if their side reaches the the Champions League. We think there's a twenty percent chance of that happening, so we'd say, well, you know, we're we're willing to pay. Twenty percent times two million. We'd pay. We'd add another four hundred grand onto the price we're prepared to pay for the club. So all of the contracts are, would be transferred to the new owner. They they would not be eliminated um, upon uh, takeover, but they would uh, they would form part of the negotiations between the two parties uh, in terms of the seller and the buyer of the club. But the the club that has bought the player is completely out of this. They they would because. What we would do is, we would set up, uh, you know, price of football investments limited, which we then use to buy. Let's say we use it to buy Crystal Palace and Crystal Palace Football Club Limited, uh, and so on. And it would be Crystal Palace Football Club Limited that would have the contract with, let's say, I don't know, know, Everton for for a sell-on clause, Um, and that would go from Everton to Crystal Palace. FC Limited and then ultimately through to to Price of Football Investments. mmm. Ah, the first taste of rare bourbon you finally got your hands on. That's nice. At caskers.com, we make this experience easy. Caskers is a one-stop spirit curator with an impressive selection of exclusive, sought-after rare and household names in the realm of premium spirits and champagne. Discover the top flavors of the year now by going to caskers.com and using code WELCOME10 for $10 off your first purchase. Get $10 off your first purchase with code WELCOME10 at caskers.com. Our uh, pre
0: penultimate question. Uh, I was about to say penultimate because I didn't realize there was another question underneath the <laughs> last question. Uh, it comes from Aaron Dodsworth. And Aaron says in America they have an at will employment system. How can any player be forced to honor their contracts these days, especially in the free agent era we seem to be approaching? Case in point being Ricardo Pepsi moving to FC Augsburg for 20 million plus add-ons. Why wouldn't he just walk away from his contract at will and take say a 10 million signing on fee instead?
1: Right, this is this is an intriguing one and I think this is uh where FIFA and uh, American labor law come into uh, a bit of uh, a bit of conflict. Um, for people unfamiliar with with this concept of an at will contract, um, U.S. labor laws, uh, I think it's fair to say are are tilted quite significantly towards the employer rather than the employee, and an em- and an employer can dismiss any employee at will. Um, for good cause, bad cause or no cause at all, according to a court ruling, provided the reason for the dismissal is not illegal. So if you dismissed an individual uh, due to, uh, to to race, due to religion, due to sex uh, sexuality, due to gender and so on, um, that would that would tend to be not allowed. Um, and in some individual states in the United States those those uh, uh, illegal reasons are, are stronger than others so it, it does it does certainly benefit the employer and uh, Donald Trump uh, when he was president he he suggested to the NFL owners that they uh, that they terminate the contract of NFL players who were taking the knee um, at at will, um, and uh, there, there have been some potential legal cases, but it, it never actually crystallised. In terms of the player, does that mean that the player can walk away from the the, the the sporting club, including clearly football clubs, at will? Well, yes, they could, but the the football club would still retain the player's registration, and now under FIFA rules, and this, this is sort of. This is a a series of rules which are adhered to universally. Um, Only one club can hold the registration of a football player at one time, which which prevents the player – the player could sign a, a contract of employment with another football club. But they would not be allowed to be registered with the, uh, the US soccer authorities or those of another country um, unless FIFA are given their blessing. Um, and normally, in order to give your blessing, you have to give a compensation fee, which, which is what we refer to as a transfer fee. So at present, uh, Aaron, um, it, it wouldn't work. There could be test cases in individual countries in due course. Yeah, we we go back to what happened with uh, uh, with, with the Bosman case, and there have been similar discussions with regards to this. Um, and yeah, we're also going through at present a, a lot of talk about uh, you know, how Chelsea are signing players on eight year contracts because people are pointing out to me um, if you go to FIFA's own. Uh, <coughs> own constitution and and i was there this morning according to fifa you cannot have a player sign for more than uh five years but uh again if you look at the small print in relation to this it says unless local laws allow you to to sign a contract for more and, and this is how chelsea are are able to uh so seemingly uh uh, contradict uh, what what FIFA say, but actually, um, under UK labour laws, and it did. Those are the most most countries you find. This is this is a classic example of of FIFA uh, being a little bit clever, perhaps. Uh, I am not aware of many countries which which limit the length of a contract for an employee. Kieran, what were you doing visiting the FIFA Constitution on a Sunday morning?
0: <laughs> is it any wonder you get the the eyebrows from the
1: Baroness every now and again? Yes, especially as we've we've got some, I'd say no more than shelf-related issues taking place domestically. Oh, um, when she when she listens to this or when she sort of wanders past, yes, the, the eyebrows are are heading in a northerly direction. Oh, show!
0: I don't like the sound of shelf-related
1: issues. <laughs>
0: that might that might explain why we heard Finlay heads for the hills very early on in the pod this morning. Um, yes. Our penultimate question, Kira, and you, you know how much I love a name. And my God, the question comes from, this is one of my favourite names so far in three years of podcasting. It comes from Tony Hereford. Um, I, I believe my mum had both his albums back in the day. <laughs> uh, but if Tony Hereford wasn't a mate of Matt Monroe, I want to know the reason why. Um, <clears throat> and clearly Tony's question put music into my head subconsciously because Tony Hereford wants to, I can imagine, Tony, you might have to send me a photograph because, I've got an image in my head of how you look, and it, it involves a, a shirt collar above the jacket. <laughs> but just, just let me know. Tony's question is, how much do clubs pay in royalties for the music they play pre-match and half-time? Now, we, we did, bizarrely, this is one of the very first questions we ever got back in the day, but I'm very happy to revisit it, partly because I've forgotten the answer. <laughs> this,
1: this is, a, I've done quite a bit of looking into this, Um in respect of music royalties, if if you if music is played in a public place, then then the Performing Rights Society um, yep. is able to to claim copyright with regards to this, and um, there are specific sub clauses and uh, individual rules for different locations which are playing music. So I went into the area which deals with sporting activity, and it says uh, in respect of general music so if you've got the uh you've got the stadium announcer and they're playing a couple of tunes warming up um the royalty is 0.50 pence per person attending so half a pence so yeah if you've got 10,000 people then it's uh yeah 10,000 times half pence and so on but if you have specific, and this might be of use, might be interesting to you, as a Palace fan, if you've got specific uh, entry and exit music which is associated with the club, that 0.505 pence goes up to one point one four two pence oh. for person attending. So, if we take Crystal Palace's match yesterday with uh, with Newcastle, um, you come out to Glad All Over. Mm-hmm there were 25,000 350 people in attendance which means that there was a royalty required of 289 pounds to the songwriter um so over the course of a season that would be um yeah work out at around about 67,000 pounds so so yeah not 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 to be sneezed at and then we've also got uh, what they refer to as integral music which is music, which is specifically played um, to celebrate an event. So if if you if you score a goal, you know some people. So, and this is where I think Damon Albarn must be rubbing his hands together <laughs> with glee, because everybody, of course, goes and plays song too. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm going to see Blur later this year, and I'm really looking forward to it. By the way, um, so. Um, for that, you get even more money. You get one point seven seven eight pence per person attending. So again, yeah, that could you know, So if you if that was at Palace's match yesterday, yeah, Damon Albarn would be picking up around about four hundred pounds for every goal that Palace scored.
0: Mm. Mm. That's um. That's oh, George Sefton, is the legendary PA announcer at Liverpool Anfield. He makes a point of breaking new bands, new Liverpool bands approach him and he, he plays their records before, during and after the game, which I think is a very laudable thing to do. And The Performing Rights Society, Kieran, of course, Fergal Sharkey uh, yes. used to be the head. I'm not sure if he is now. I believe he might be campaigning full-time for cleaner water. Uh, yes, yeah, it does, which he,
1: for which he does a magnificent job. He does a f-
0: fantastic job. but then the PRS uh, headquarters was in Streatham, it's on Stretham Highwood. So ah. it, it never I, every now and again I would if I had nothing to do, I thought, I'm gonna go and walk up Streatham High Road and see if I can see Fergal Sharkey. And every time I did, I saw him in a sandwich shop once. This is just, that's Fergal Sharky buying a sandwich in Streatham. Fantastic. <laughs>
1: um, and and, and last... did he name, he has he has been known to name check you in song as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, Jesus. I love that. I love that band, but that song Hung around my neck for three years. I can imagine, really, <laughs> really uh, especially because I was none of those things. <laughs> um, our last question, Kieran, is, is a kind of um, uh, sort of metaphysical one, almost really, from from Andrew Lee. And Andrew Lee says this is a question for both of you. What is it like for passionate football fans like yourselves to look behind the curtain of professional football? Does it spoil your enjoyment of watching the game, knowing what you know about the finances? Or are you able to switch off and still be a normal fan? I, I, if I can answer for myself first, Kieran, as we've established, I have the attention span of a toddler. So, <clears throat> for the most part, you will tell me something terrifying about football, and I've, <laughs> I've forgotten it by the time I get into the porter's arms. I, if anything, I wouldn't. It's a really interesting question, Andrew, and a lot of people have have, have wanted to discuss this with both of us. I think mean, for me in a way, it almost enhances it, having more knowledge of how the game works. Um, Also, it's added to our instinctive belief before doing the pod that most football fans are really good, decent people, Mm -hmm. as are the vast majority of people in the game itself. But it's the second part of Andrew's question is the important part. It's like... I could be, yesterday, I could be really worried about the state of football. I could be thinking, oh my God, 15 points for the I wonder what happens if, if, imagine if Palace had accidentally forgotten to sign a doc- That's But as soon as you get in the pub, as soon as you see the red and blue scarves, as soon as you start talking that same nonsense to the same people, that all disappears. And it's just the football. We, we had two um, Malaysian visitors yesterday in the Portsmouth Arms School. And one of my oldest, dearest friends uh, went to, Play football abroad a long time ago and, and he has 2 stepsons from Malaysia, two mm-hmm. of the nicest young people you can meet in their mid-20s. They came uh, to England this week, their first visit to the UK, to London. They've been saving up for years because they're going to see Arsenal play Man United this afternoon and Dominic, mm-hmm. my friend, went, if you're going to see Arsenal, you've got to go and see some, some authentic, old-fashioned, working-class football and these boys came to the porsons it took It took them five minutes to adjust. It just so happened yesterday that the Porsons was on full- on South London geezer character mode. so they met a lot of interesting people <laughs> who wanted to ask him a lot of questions. One of them in particular, by the end of it, had a cockney accent and was drinking more Guinness <laughs> in his good room uh, and, then, and then we walked him, we walked them to Sellers Park and just yeah, And I told them, this is very difficult. Tomorrow at, at Arsenal, you'll have a really comfortable experience. It's a brilliant stadium. But it was freezing cold, and we walked them up to Sellers Park. And when they sort of... Uh, Homesdale for the first time. They've been watching Premier League football since they were babies. Their their excitement was just wonderful to see. And it's like, hmm. that's, that's what's important. No matter what we discuss on this pod, Kieran. A lot of which is good. Like, nothing will ever take away, for me, the actual joy... Of just being a, a, a fan, and, and I think all fans are like we, we all worry. Most of us worry. You, you know, Man City fans will be worrying now that they might not win the, the Premier League. There's always mm. we're always in a, a low level state of of angst. But once you get there, once you're with, once you're in the pub, once you're with your mates, once you're in the ground, that all goes. That all goes, and, and it's it's I, I, that's why we love the game. I think so much, Keir, and from the age of five when you first go and you you're worried about. Whether your new teacher likes you or not, you go to palace, and that goes, that disappears. You know, you get sacked from work, like you get dumped by people. You go to palace, you forget it. It's. I don't think any amount of bad news we talk about, Kieran, from my point of view, will ever, ever take
1: away that that passion, that joy. Yeah, I I, I, I agree with you. I, I, yeah, it, this sounds this sounds like a glib saying. Yeah, what what has happened over the course of the past few years and, and working with you, but also getting to know people in the industry. Yeah, you know, the, the the glib part of me says. Love the game, hate the industry. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but but that that's actually being harsh because I, I think football sort of encapsulates society in many regards, that it brings out the very best and the very worst in people. And we we've got to we've got to know some people are those parts of football that are criticize yeah we've got to know football agents we've got to know football administrators and chief executives and 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 listening to what they say through their lens yeah not every agent in fact the vast majority of agents are trying to do the best for their clients the vast majority of chief executives are trying to do what's best for everybody including fans although you know their perception of what's good for fans might might not always agree with ours um We've got to know, you know uh, owners of clubs. You know, we've, we've got Simon at Plymouth, Andy, uh, Andy Accrington, Mark Palios, Jason, and so on. And when you hear them talk, it's, it, it does give you a degree of, of reassurance because the the people who I don't have a lot of time for, the likes of you know, Agnelli and the Glazers and so on, who 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 for, for them football is an ego activity or a means of making more money. Um, they are actually in the minority. Um, so I'd say you know, Monday, Monday to Friday, I, I can, and I'm, I'm, I'm irritatingly cheerful at the best of times, <laughs> but uh. fo- even football can drag me down, Yeah, you know, and I, I do work, you know, I'm, I'm not big myself up. I, I do work ridiculous hours sort of going into all of this because it has become a bit of an obsession. Um, but come Saturday, all of that is forgotten. And, uh, yes, yeah, you know, like like you, I, I get people approaching me in the pub and asking questions about this, that, and the other, and it, yeah, it was the same with Leicester yesterday. And it is it is good that that fans see themselves as guardians of the club, yeah. uh, uh, and and I think that we as fans, and know I, I don't think I've ever been prouder to be a football fan, you know, during uh, during lockdown. Um, we we do hold these people to account and and if if what we do can in any way help individual fans fan groups or even ourselves yeah you know, hold truth to power or speak truth to power then then i think we we we're, we're doing more good yeah but, yeah but uh yeah i can assure you for 90 minutes yesterday i the, the word amortization didn't go didn't go through my head um when when matoma put it in from 25 yards <laughs> If people
0: listening to this want to know how irritatingly cheerful Kieran actually is, I think he's the only person I know who sings along to Sussex by the sea with a smile on his face. <laughs> well, like most normal people, if they're in the best mood of their lives, as soon as you start singing that, you go, I, I'll tell you what's reassuring, Kieran, and I hope people at home will find this reassuring as well, is that, of course, I've, I've through a lot of the broadcasting stuff I've done, I've met football fans from every club, but I didn't often get to meet people who worked at the club, and you know, maybe the press office. That would be the level of people that I've met. But I've been surprised during this pod and meeting some quite important senior people in football through it that they're all football fans. Mm. I, I've, I expected a lot of people running football clubs at every level to be businessmen who happen to, or businesswomen who happen to be working in football rather than cornflakes or or cars. But they're not. They're people who love the game and I think I would say 90% of the people who work at Palace for example in fairly senior positions are Palace fans and that's what I've found at at every club every now and again somebody will sheepishly admit in a meeting that they're they're a Chelsea fan but as long as they're a football fan it's it's so unusual to find people working in football that aren't football fans and I find that I find that very reassuring yeah absolutely I'm I'm afraid Kieran even this last announcement uh Tested your legendary cheerfulness because we will get this gig at Plymouth happening, but unfortunately, unfortunately, the show that was due to take place on March the 21st has had to be cancelled. Uh, the reason being, and I think we're going to need to talk to Andy Holt about this because I think he's done it deliberately. Because he, <laughs> do- he doesn't want us going anywhere else to do the live show. Is that Plymouth's League One fixture with Akriton Stanley, has been rescheduled for that evening. We did suggest that perhaps we would be the halftime entertainment. But <laughs> Plymouth thought maybe maybe, maybe better not. Um, we are so sorry that we've had to move this live show again. This is the third time, I think, it was originally meant to be happening uh, in September and then December. We're looking at a date in the summer. We thought that would be safer. We've accepted Plymouth's suggestion that it's probably best to do it when the football season is not happening, we'll let you know when we've agreed that with the club. Hopefully you can join us there if you have bought a ticket already. And again, if you can't make the new date, you will get a full refund. Of course you will. We'll keep you updated. And again, we can't apologise enough, but I understand that an actual football game takes preference to us. Um, So thank you to everybody who has a ticket and will still come. And thank you to those people who maybe are now able to come because it's a summer and they're not working. Who knows? Thank you as well to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to join them and make a small monthly contribution, that'd be very kind. You can do so by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell.
1: Well, th- thank you for all the questions, all the support on Patreon and, uh, and all the interaction in you know, both both in real life and and online and so on. Um, There's various ways you can support the show. what? And and one of those ways is to uh, is to give us a review. Apparently, it helps us with algorithms and credibility and charts and all of the things which which produce a guy. Uh, he, he sends us emails and uh, <laughs> we we look at them and then we phone each other up and say, do, "Do you understand this?" And we go, "No," <laughs> but, we, we just, but, but we've we've perfected nodding, which is which is very useful. It's um, very difficult to do via email, but we managed to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it is yes. Um, so it, it, it apparently it doesn't matter. What you say on the review. So you could even say you would rather have the show uh, presented by Adam Ant, uh, famous pop singer of the 1980s, famous for his trousers, and mm. Charlie Methven, former owner of Sunderland Football Club, also <laughs> famous for his trousers. Now, I've, all, I've got an apology to, to Charlie. Um, have you? Char, Char, Charlie sent uh, an email to questions at priceoffootball, uh, dot com, which was actually di- uh, directed at me last last June. Um, and he wanted to, he wanted to hold me to account for, for certain things. Um, and uh, yeah, we're not boasting it. We we have a ridiculous backlog of questions, and it's it's only now just got to the top of the pile. Uh, I don't actually monitor that particular. Uh, so, so I, so I will reply to uh, your email, Charlie, and uh, it, uh, please don't take it as a slight. I was not ignoring you. Um, I will, I will try to uh, articulate an appropriate response. It was a ten-page email, so there, there were quite a few, uh, quite a few questions in it and observations, um, and and I will try to res- respond respectively. Thank oh, you. Oh, I see. So this this wasn't a question about amortization then. No, yeah. oh, okay. I, I like. Uh, was, was he
0: was he responding to some comments you may made, made about him on the pod?
1: Yeah, yeah. The fact yeah, that yeah, yeah. he didn't send me a Christmas card, yeah. I think okay. probably, yeah, pro- probably read into that. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, I always like ten. Was it was it sent around three a.m. in the morning?
0: <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh maybe that'll placate him kieran maybe if you say uh, i take your point <laughs> i will try and stick it where the sun don't shine but in the meantime <laughs> how, how would you like to co-host a pod with adam Ant one week yes uh who's um uh, adam Adamant is a charming charming man uh and responsible for some i
1: think still underrated songs kieran he was a Yeah, I I first saw them in 1980, and I last saw them about four years ago. And yeah, they're they're still hugely underrated. It's one of those bands that sort of went under the radar, because I think that was during uh, NME's probably finest sneering phase. (laughs) Yeah. so, so they they hated him, and of course, all, all of all of the hipsters at university had to hate him. I, I I thought the songs were great. I I thought
0: that two drum sound was, was brilliant. Anyway, yeah, we we digress, Kieran. We're on to another pod.
1: Unusual for us. Bye, <laughs> <Well>, everybody. Bye. <laughs> I have some photos